Hi, I'm Paul Swinflow and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, we're wrapping it up. Yep, we're wrapping up Vmon 2020 online. So settle back and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to this uh, episode of Tech Interviews. And for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, you'll realize this is a little bit of a different episode because you get to see my face as well, as well as the face of my guest. Uh, so I've been doing tech interviews now for, uh, well, I think just over three years. Uh, and the very first guest I had on uh, was a, the gentleman that you can see on the, uh, on the other screen. Um, so I thought if I'm going to experiment with making videos, uh, I needed, <laughs> he might as well be the guinea pig for that as well. So, um, so welcome to the first video version of the Tech Interviews podcast, Michael Cade. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hello, mate. Yeah, all good. So, uh, yeah, so for so people who've not seen you before, they now get to see you. Um, and for people who've not seen me, uh, this, this is it. Um, so sorry about that. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to apologise as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so well, well, thanks for joining us on the show. And actually, what we're going to be covering is um, uh, last last week. Uh, we're recording this on uh, the the twenty sixth of June, but um, last week we had uh, Vmon, the online version of Vmon. So, we wanted to take a little bit of a, a look at that and kind of get a, a you know some of the main key messages that came from it, but also maybe a little look at what the online experience was like from uh, you know for, for those who attended. So, you know, I, I can talk about that, and obviously for those who um, those who were behind the scenes and, and putting the event on and you know and obviously Michael you kind of did a, a bunch of keynote demonstrations that, that may or may not have been live it's not for me to give away the magic um so um, but before we do that uh, as we normally do just because we're on video it's no different and um, for people who have not heard or seen you before um why don't you give us an introduction and tell us who you are what it is you do yeah so I'm Michael Cade I work at Veeam obviously and uh I sit in our product strategy group which is headed up by our CTO um so what does product strategy actually mean? It obviously defines, or hopefully defines, where we go as a company or where we go as a product set. Um, so we liaise quite quite closely with product marketing to keep them honest. And we also uh, liaise with product management. And then we also speak to a lot of our customers, service providers, channel partners about what are we seeing from a, from a data point of view or data management point of view. What are we seeing out there in the field so that we uh, we can feed that back up into product management, and hopefully the two and two meet, and we can we can build a better product full of features that can can help with those those issues. That's really what I what I do day to day, as well as bits around content, um, speaking on main stage at events. If we ever ever get to go to a, a main event again in in person, um, but yeah, a lot about content. A load about community and um, probably higher stuff on my list is around commu the IT community, not just our Veeam vanguards and, and looking after them guys from a technical point of view and enabling them, but also just in general, the VMware community, the new the new communities that are coming around from a cloud native point of view, they're, they're what really interests me as well from, a, from my job's point of view. So it's interesting that you said uh, one of the things you do is you speak from main stages at, at actual events and will we ever get back to that um, but of course we had a, an online event and you spoke on the main stage there see so you don't don't even need to leave your uh, leave your office um 
and, and we can maybe talk about the uh, the groots um, on the on the, the desk there but that's not going to work particularly well for the audio version so go to the youtube channel and you can watch the video version and, and see the strange groots collection that that mr cade keeps um no idea what that's about i've never asked him um, we, we may find out um so anyway the, 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 the theme of the show really was to talk about kind of this idea of um, running vmon so it's you know it's been a physical event i've been fortunate enough to go to really enjoyed the, the physical version um, and for me I actually really enjoyed the uh, the online experience as well so um but then i was just watching and consuming and not having to worry about it so so why don't we talk a little bit about what that online experience was like from um from a veeam point of view um it's not the first time you know that there is kind of a veeamon uh, kind of digital a veeam digital event that, that runs annually anyway but it's obviously the first time you've taken this this main event and run it as a uh, as an online event for, for obvious reasons. So, so Cam, what was that experience like? You know, how, how was that for Veeam? You know, what, what, was, what was running an online version of such a big event like? So I think the first, that, so yeah, you mentioned Veeam on Live, which is generally around October, November, at the end of the year. And it's generally, well, it's very much more condensed. You probably have five, six key talking points, breakout sessions, et cetera, where we just cover off New, what's coming because we're generally going to be close to a release cycle at that point much less people involved um so you like i might do two breakout sessions the rest of our team will maybe do two we're very much that's just us in in our bubble doing doing some work there with some architects etc vmon's are obviously a whole new ball game especially on online because you're now encompassing partners uh you're encompassing more people doing the general the breakout sessions that cannot just be our team i think there was 20 plus breakout sessions that you could choose from and then you could go back and repeat those so all of that logistics and i'm thankful that that my boss does that rick does most of that breakout the technical breakout so and i want no part of that but but just a bigger in scale that's and even and then in comparison to like the the in-person event so we were going to be in vegas this year it was going to be beginning of May, first week in May, and that was going to be probably 80 breakout sessions, but it's a completely different feel to it because so in our in person we'd probably get three and a half to five thousand people attending our our in in-person event. When we when we look at the live event, the online event, which is free to everyone and still open for another month. So you can still go back and register now and still be able to catch those sessions. But we had close to 30,000 people register. And then there's some ridiculous numbers underneath that as well, around like 8,000 be people being on the, on the platform at one point. And just the scale is, is it enormous. And then that brings me back to the, the worrying, well, the anxiety prior to, prior to an event online. So we're, we're well into this current situation where we're forced to be online rather than in person uh, for a lot of our a lot of our things and events but so we've had we've also by having it in june we had a few months of seeing other events and seeing how they 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 were and i think my over overall um like perspective of of online events is that they've been slow to get in they've been the user experience hasn't necessarily been what what it should be and i think there's if just a side note i think there's huge innovations to be had here i don't think online events are going away anytime soon and 
I think we're still using platforms that were designed and created 10 years ago. And I think that's a huge area that, that could be, could be really, really um, well put together with a, with a new innovation there. Um, but yeah, so from, from inside the, the Veeam house, it was, from my point of view, it was a bit more of a anxious type run up into the, into the event, just because me being the community guy, I want everything to, I want us always to look the best, the, the best possible us as, as we can. Um, and the platform is completely out of our, our hands, really. We can record everything on there. We can, we can be live and stream everything on there, but we're at the mercy of those. Whereas if I'm on stage in, in Mandalay Bay or MGM, other, other hotels are available in, in Las Vegas. But um, I, can con- I control the time. I control me speaking. Generally, there's obviously microphones, but it's all very easy to, to, to sort and fix when you're in that um, scenario. When you're on a virtual platform, someone else is dealing with that and making sure that there's enough bandwidth and making sure that the quality is, is good. I, I think that's a, that's a big thing is the only thing I was really disappointed with was actually the quality of the demos that I did was they were a bit grainy and it was just a bit unfortunate. But so I didn't record them like that. So I have got good raw copies and they'll, um, no doubt they'll be on the Veeam YouTube like sometime soon. Um, but I think that was, that's kind of a behind the scenes look at that run up into, I think on the day I sat through a lot of the sessions. I think they, they went really well. I think they were really informative. They were technically on point for a large majority of the audience, but probably best to ask you, Paul, what you thought of the, the online experience from a, from a Veeam point of view. Well, I thought it's, I mean, there's lots of interesting things you've just talked about there, kind of a, you know, a, a, a behind the stage, behind the stage look at it. And I, I was speaking to uh, one of your colleagues um, earlier this week, I, I, won't, I won't name him, who was kind of sharing some of the challenges that you've kind of touched on there as well. And, and of course, from a, an outsider looking in, you just don't know that kind of thing. And I think, but, but a couple of things that you did say was really interesting. One was the idea that you've seen quite a lot of online events now, because, you know, we've, we've, this one was running June. So, you know, there's, there's been a whole raft of events that have kind of gone before that. You know, and Veeam have sensibly, I think, like lots of organisations are going to do, and kind of something else you touched on, have learned from that. And, and you know, and you, and you can see that these online events, and like you say, I, I don't think they're going to go away. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're not going to see in-person events. I think we will, we will probably see those again. You know, and Veeam and others, I'm sure, will, will want to run some kind of online event. But whether that's an in-person event, but whether they'll keep an online kind of stream for that or some kind of online versions or maybe run an online event because i do think one of the huge values of of you know there's not been there's not been acres of of real positives that have come out of kind of the last three and a half months um but i think from a, an it job point of view one of the things that has been beneficial um has been the amount of events that have gone online so rather than people cancelling them they have turned that into something and trying to take the positive out of some of these is, is it gives me an opportunity to attend things and i'm sure we saw that with vmon people who would have liked to have gone in the past just haven't been able to do that you know because vmon's normally in the us so perhaps if you're not in the us it's difficult um you know and there's lots of events that people want to go to so we, we've seen in the, this last week the um the online registration for vmware um uh, vmware's uh, uh, VMworld event at, at the end of September, you know, and they've they've done some interesting things with that, including kind of a paid for stream, which uh, will be interesting to see whether people take that up and, and how that that might look. Um, and I think the, I, I mean, the other thing, that, and it wasn't something that I thought about, was actually that idea that 
the platforms that people are using have never, you know, probably like lots of things that we've learned, you know, Microsoft have seen it with Teams, we're recording this on Zoom, Zoom had their own challenges, particularly early on, about the amount of people and the scale that these things are now running at. They've never really thought about it. And actually what we're going to see is a whole bunch of innovation in that space. And I think that'll be interesting. That'll, that'll be interesting. And I thought it was a couple of things that Veeam did that was, that was smart in terms of what you talked about in keeping um, like a, a, a feel, some kind of feel of an actual event. Uh, and I thought one of the things, I've not seen anybody do it so far, and I'm sure other people probably have, um, was that you could go and visit the Veeam booth in kind of the virtual expo hall and get your Veeam t-shirt. So you just went in and ordered it. And I thought, well, I'll have one of those. It's, you know, we're, we're probably like you, we're living in t-shirts now. So, um, you know, I can't remember. I've, I've got some shirts in an ironing basket somewhere. I, I don't even know where it is. Um, but, you know, so you think, well, another t-shirt, that, that's always going to be a good thing. So, so I think there was loads of things that, that, that kind of um, came from out. There's lots of things that Veeam did well. I thought the session numbers was, for, for me, um, you know, I thought the kind of 20 or 30 or so sessions was kind of a good number. You could keep track of that and you could pick the ones you wanted to go to. And I think a huge value is that ability to have them on demand for a period afterwards because it means you don't have to try and hit everything. You pick out the things you want and then, and I have done, you kind of go back and you look at some of these things. And I did the same with Microsoft Build a couple of weeks ago, kind of gone back and or which bits interest me. I like to, I like to watch the keynotes kind of as they happen, but kind of then go back and look at well, which bits interest me. And, um, and I, I can kind of go and dig into them and let's say I've, I've kind of already done that. So, um, but, but, so that's, that's an interesting kind of look at the background, but, but looking at the things that we're talked about and kind of we're announced. So, so what were some of the key things maybe for people who've not had that chance to go and watch it yet or didn't, didn't attend it at the time. And what were some of the key messages that came out of those kind of main stage, um, main stage events, main stage presentations, and what are the kind of things that we should be looking for coming out of Veeam on and, and coming from Veeam in the, the near future? Yeah. So, so one of the, well, on the second day, we ran through a technical general session. So I have to be careful how I pick my words here. Um, but so on the first day, we we're obviously going to do a general session. Our CEO, Bill Largent, came on and he discussed the current climate, the current challenges, the challenges that maybe were January, February, bit of March, have kind of gone out the window. They're not completely gone, but now we've got this pandemic. How do we make sure that we were working in this office and now we've got to work from all of remote locations and homes and how do we make sure that we still protect that data in the same way but that that session was still very much geared towards data and how we protect ourselves or protect our data against malicious activity but also against the failure scenarios also just having that availability of that data and there was a couple of customers on there that have been through that journey that spoke about it jim kruger our cmo he was also on there really good short but sweet type type general session and then the second day which we do on our our um in-person events as well and this is as a as an it community guy it a, a, a technical or a technologist is this the the technical keynote i think is the the key to any event and to only have a keynote and keep it down to a condensed time is key like i've sat in some huge like events where we've had a general session that's taken two, three hours and we've started off with the business challenges. We've gone through a little bit of the technical and then we've gone back to business and a bit of marketing and you're just in there for three hours and generally I'm probably jet lagged as well. So it just take, it just takes the edge off the, the big announcement. So we've always had this factor of a, of a technical general session where well, literally wall to wall, it's going to be, um, 
it's going to be technical technical demos and te technical conversations and challenges about how we fix things. So to get on to actually what that, that technical general session was, so first up we had Danny come in and he, as a CTO, he gave a, a good, good um, forward-looking view from a technology point of view on where the world is going from a data data usage point of view, uh, where we're going to store data, why are we going to store data that we that we need, how long we're going to keep it for, etc. Big emphasis around data reuse. I have to plug that one because that's that's one of mine in there as well. Um, but so he did did a bit of a, a layer the land and also a forward looking view on on what the future will hold from a from a data perspective. Then we kicked into products and so for those that are familiar with Veeam, we have our Veeam backup replication or Veeam availability suite. And then we've over the last few years we've we've brought in these additional um, specific tools that allow us to protect other workloads in a much more efficient manner. So first up, I think we spoke about, and now I might get these the wrong way around, but the first one was um, Veeam backup for AWS. Now we released this in December of 2019, and now we're six months in and we're already released version two. Version two brings, well, it's a, it's a major release, right? Um, brings the ability to, to harmonize your snapshots and backups, be able to store them into S3. It gives you the ability to cross-replicate those, those EC2 instances to another region or another account. So think about disaster recovery now in the cloud and, and loads more other things where right? I could probably take a whole episode stringing of, of just talking about that. So I won't do that. Um, I will plug the YouTube video at the end though. Um, then, then we spoke about VBO and so being back up for Office 365 and we spoke about version version five. So version four came out at the beginning of the year. Version five already was in the, in the works, in the roadmap. I actually learned about what V5 is going to look like in January at our sales kickoff, which seems such a long time ago. It was actually in person. We saw people, had dinner with people. Um, what? And you did what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the old world. Um, and then, uh, so the big, the big takeaway for that was really around Microsoft Teams. And I wish we did have a crystal ball and we could see into the future about how much adoption was going to be and how much more data was going to be residing in Microsoft Teams today as opposed to if COVID wasn't here. But... Obviously, that, that brings us the ability to... Now, we could back up Teams before because Teams data is all part of SharePoint anyway, and we could back up SharePoint. But to have that granularity of being able to go in and, and take out individual items and restore chat functions and files that you're collaborating on, it just seemed a little bit easier to, 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 to be able to offer that to our, to our customers. So... That was VBO version five, and then finally was well, just, the. I mean, just, uh, yeah. just to jump in, no, no, just, I mean, just jump in. I, I, I think what's interesting about that, and actually in, in both of those, kind of the backup for AWS and uh, and VBO, what what is it? Well, it's a good example of is how quickly the world is changing, and it's important that organisations kind of keep up with that. You know, and our, our Teams is a is a great example, isn't it? You know, I think we've seen, and I'm, I'm sure you know, well, an Ovima kind of a business that uses Teams as well, like like many organisations and. I think we've all seen, and Microsoft were absolutely taken by surprise, I think because somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's a, it's a really interesting point, that Microsoft had developed Teams, but Teams was a solution looking for a problem. 
um, and then the world came along and presented a problem and Teams has kind of fitted really, really well. But it introduced a whole bunch of things mm. that people had never really thought about, including not just the backup of it, because as you said, you know, because most of it lives in SharePoint and a couple of other bits, 365, you know, you, you were protecting it anyway. It's actually recoverability of Teams. Um, you know, and that, that Teams Explorer obviously was kind of a, you know, got quite a lot of buzz around it because I think the ability to, because, you know, we talk about this all the time that, um, you know, although I think the statement, it's all about restore because without restore, what's the point? And that kind of is true, but without backup, there is no restore either. And I think it's always worth remembering, but actually the, the big part about restore is how do I make that nice and straightforward? And in something like Teams, which is quite a complex beast behind the scenes, doing something that you know and like you said it was kind of coincidentally it's not like you saw this coming in january the work had, had already been done or was already in place but again it's i suppose it's just a good example of we need to be able to adopt and evolve really really quickly and, and both being back up for office 365 and being back up for aws you know is showing is showing that kind of evolution and what companies like Veeam need to be able to do is this rapid cadence of getting solutions out of the door, you know, and we see that with, with other vendors that, 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 that I see day to day, you know, you've seen their cloud data services businesses are churning out updates all the time because actually the world of cloud continues to evolve rapidly and, and actually events like the ones that we're living through right now, you know, give, give the opportunity for people who use cloud a lot to say, there's a value of, of operating in the cloud, you know, and then, but we need the infrastructure and things that, that sit around that. So um, anyway, I stopped your mid flow there, but it just, I, I thought it was a, it's kind of an interesting point he was making. Yeah, no, good. Um, the other things around VBO that I don't think we even shouted about because we probably didn't have enough time was, so VBO is, a, is it re, it's required to be installed. It's a very small install that is, is put onto a Windows box um, and then obviously protects Office 365, but can also protect on-premises uh, exchange and SharePoint using the same tool set. Um, another two things though that were, that did, they came out before Vmon, but we didn't really talk about it too much is the, the ability to deploy kind of a marketplace template to be able to spin them up in, in AWS and Azure. And so Azure was there a few weeks back, but that I think that's an interesting topic as well is that, so being able to, store everything in Azure that came from Office 365 is, is great. And that's one step. And given the fact that version four gave us the ability to, re, to back up directly to object storage as well, including Microsoft Azure blob storage, but also AWS S3 or any S3 compatible storage. Um, the ability to actually spin up the VBO deployment in AWS from an AWS marketplace AMI type, type um, provisioning now you're taking the data and you're cross, you're backing up across multiple clouds. I, I think that offers a, and then you could put that to AWS or you've got the option there to really cater whatever choice you want. But um, I thought that was really interesting and that's kind of there today and already already available as well as some stuff around security and modern authentication about being able to actually get to that data. Uh, uh, so that was VBO. And then the final thing of that first section before we get on to what, where I was involved was around VAO. So Veeam Availability Orchestrator was uh, is a version, well, it will be a version three product with the next release, with this upcoming release. So what VAO is from an orchestration point of view is to begin with, it was about being able to take a replica of your virtual machines in VMware over to a secondary site or to 
from multiple sites into a disaster recovery site. We would orchestrate that, all the failover plans, all of the testing against that using Veeam Data Labs, being able to verify that, well, that, that replica will work, that disaster recovery plan will work, dynamically document this and provide you with a, a nice orchestration method of getting workloads from here to there if the worst or if a failure scenario was to happen. Then version two came out and that was a, about being able to leverage those backups for a similar task, about being able to move those backups and orchestrate those backups to wherever you need them as well. For again, for, for disaster recovery, business continuity. And then this final version is, and this is, this is taking a similar uh, stance to how we, how we went from a feedback and replication point of view. So obviously backup and replication came first, but then the ability to leverage storage snapshots to and not only storage snapshots, but also replicate those storage snapshots using the storage technology underneath to replicate that data over to that secondary site. So exclusively in version three, it's about being able to integrate into NetApp and ONTAP in particular and leverage their snapshot engine and their SnapMirror SnapVault over to that secondary location for, for disaster recovery. So that, that, they, that was the big announcement and Melissa did three fantastic demos on, on what these look like. And again, like I say, the quality wasn't, wasn't brilliant, but we do have better quality demos that we'll share at some point on the Veeam YouTube, I imagine. I mean, I think for anybody as well who is who looks at, you know, and I think we all do, and again, one of the things we've probably learned over the last three and a half months is the importance of being able to test and develop business continuity strategies, you know, something that allows us to be up and running quickly in another environment if we need to be. And we talked about this before we started recording that Veeam Availability Orchestrator is one of those kind of solutions that is a very well-kept secret, you know, and, it's, and that's never a good thing, you know, if you're a technology company who sell things, as Veeam do, it's not a great thing to have secret products that nobody knows about. Um, and, and I think it's definitely well worth, you know, if you've got, if you've already registered for Vmon, you can go back and watch the sessions, either watch that main session. I don't know whether Melissa did. I, I guess she did. Did she? She actually did, didn't she? She did a separate Veeam availability orchestrator session as well. I think they're well worth having a look at if you can, uh, if you can find them. Yeah, definitely. And where it, where it sits in the, in the platform, that, that orchestration engine about being able to move data from A to B, it uses a lot of the Veeam under, pinning technology that we we have in Veeam back in replication, but it adds so much more as well. It adds a lot of dynamic documentation. It adds a lot more things that wouldn't necessarily be involved with disaster recovery from a from a Veeam back in replication point of view. It allows you to pull in other areas of your business that need orchestrating if the worst was to happen and you had to fail over. And I think that's quite the quite the interesting interesting part of of vao so so you've been waiting for ages now to talk about the things that you did so so why, why don't you why don't you tell us kind of about your your mainstay sessions which you, you know again you, you're covering some quite important evolutions for veeam and and some of the things are doing um and and i think you, you know you did some of the stuff around maybe maybe forthcoming attractions as well yeah yeah so i so very fortunately i got i got given the task of being able to demo what's coming in in v11 from a beam back and replication point of view um so anton began by giving the theory as to why and what we're doing and then i got to show that well ha this is how we're going to approach that so first up was cdp now cdp we we stood on stage in new orleans at vmon 2017 and we we highlighted this was a project where we were we were 
looking into with some intent to, to, to deliver. This is where we're going to use the, the VMware IO filter, the VAIO filter to be able to capture IO and split that IO between the two sites. So it gives you a really, really fast recovery point objectives, but also recovery time as well, because we're down to seconds, not minutes or hours. So that was the first demo. Uh, I'll let you watch the demo as to, to what I use. Uh, so I, I, generally speaking for these demos, and this is a bit of an insider, is that I generally get around three to four, maybe five minutes tops to, to be able to come, come up with a demo that can fit into that. Now, I could go away and I could go into Camtasia and I could like play around with time for, for a recorded or for a, for a online session, but on a main stage, that just doesn't happen. I want everything to be live because we, we obviously believe in our products as well. So everything should be live in our opinion, even with like pre-alpha, pre-built beta at least builds. Um, so I had five minutes to ultimately set up because I wanted to show the simplicity of setting up a CDP policy. I needed that to quickly get sent over to that secondary site. I then wanted to show you what that workload was and update it with a very small file because, well, I haven't got time to send a big one. And I need to get that over to that secondary site as fast as possible and then perform a, a failover. All of that in, I'm pretty sure it was four minutes and 38 seconds. Um, not that I did it a few times, but um, I'm pretty sure it was that. Um, so I used, and I'll let you find out what the, what the, uh, the, what the uh, VM was that I used. It, it's fair to say cutting edge technology was involved. Yeah, and I'll say it again here. I did say it on the demo, but we're not condoning using, using this particular operating system anymore. But we do know that apparently there is still people out there using this. So that was the first demo. The second demo was really about what we're doing around cloud storage or object storage. And so it was the enhancements around being able to add um, Google Cloud Storage to our capacity tier. So already today we've got that long list of AWS S3, Microsoft Azure Blob Storage, IBM Cloud, any S3 compatible storage. Um, we're now adding Google Cloud Storage just because, and I don't know if, everyone, if you're hearing the same, Paul, but this is a, an ongoing, I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot more about Google Cloud at the moment. I'm hearing a lot about Azure, I'm hearing a lot about Google, and they seem to be coming more into that enterprise, more into that infrastructure world. But maybe that's another. Maybe you should get someone from Google on, Paul. Um, I, I think I think one one yes. Um, uh, they're more than welcome, of course. Um, but but I think you know what 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 it does say um, is, and I think the vendors who are taking this kind of you know, they were taking public cloud seriously. I think what it does say is that you've got to take all of them seriously. You know, you've got to give yeah. customers. And, and one of the things I really took away from, uh, from Vmon was how data focused the conversation was, you know, the, the whole, you know, if you think about even things like we were just talking about before, you know, talking about VAO, the, you know, the ability to orchestrate uh, business continuity and disaster recovery into any kind of location, take away a lot of those headaches. What that really is doing is focusing on the applications and the data, you know, it's focusing on the, the outcome that we want. And, and I thought that was interesting how much of Vmon was about that. And actually just that example there is talking about what we're taking away from, from the customer's, uh, you know, the, the customer's concern is 
or do I need to place it in a particular cloud? Does it need to be on a particular piece of hardware? You know, do I need to buy an appliance? Now, what we're saying is, or what Veeam is saying at least, is that you can put that data anywhere that you want, anywhere that's relevant and right for you, and we will make sure we can orchestrate, protect, move it around, give it portability. We can do all of those things. You know, and the reason I said before that we are, as opposed to you know, Veeam, because it's a conversation that I have with people all the time, that it's important that as you build strategy going forward, that there has to be a focus on the data and the outcome. You know, it can't, we can't be tying ourselves to location and hardware types. We've got to look at where do we want that data? How do we want to move it around? Where do we possibly need it? And what kind of flexibility do we want in the future? So, so I think that's actually, again, it's just another good example of, of people who are taking this stuff seriously, making sure that they're hitting all the potential places that their customers can go and making sure that they can offer services within there. So anyway, so there, there you go. So you was right there. That, that, was, that, that was the point. Yeah. Um, so, and then it, it, uh, as a continuation to that object storage, cloud storage, we also heard from customers around. Well, we need to. So we're we're fully using the the copy mode and the the move mode functions of our scale out backup repository and capacity tier. But now we need to be even more cost efficient. Like as we get out of a certain time span of ninety days or or more in that let's say AWS S3, I need that to drip down into even cheaper archival type storage. That I think Anton used the term write what write once, read never, because hopefully you never have to go to it, but we need to keep it because that's what regulations or, or compliance says. So we made a, another tier as part of our scale out backup repository. So if you think we've got our performance tier, which is where we're going to keep our really fast recovery, we've got our capacity tier, which is where we're going to keep a copy of data. Of, of, of or a long-term retention of that data moved and tiered into it. And then we're going to have an archive copy, which is for really long-term retention that hopefully we never have to touch, but by law, regulation, compliance, we have to keep it. So that archive tier will give you the ability to send data to a cheaper storage. So things like deep archive within AWS. Um, but So that was what the, the demo was. And then also, there's been a focus around that, and I, I didn't get a chance to really touch on it, was as soon as data does go into that deep archive type, type um, or S3 Glacier type, type scenario, if you try and pull, like, it might be cheap. It's cheap per gig, or like, it's the cheapest possible storage that, that AWS have. But also, how to get it out then becomes a, a, a recovery time issue but also a uh, cost issue because it's going to cost you more to extract that data so our engineering guys have, have really thought about well instead of bringing that data directly back to on-premises let's bring it back to our aws3 bucket first our capacity tier first and we're also going to be able to say okay what are the slas in terms of being able to get this data back do we need it as fast as possible like a medium term or do we need it as slow as it needs but let's bring it back and all of them will have their own different cost factor as well so we've thought about that recovery process and not just gone oh yeah we need to bring that all that data back because that will cost an absolute fortune from an egress point of view and then the so then the final two um so final two demos were really focused around instant recovery so one of the things that we've kind of been known for is around instant vm recovery um, bring it, bring it back a, a virtual machine or a group of virtual machines back as fast as possible. Um, 
like we're talking seconds and that could be from your storage snapshots, your backups, your replicas, etc. But instantly we're bringing that data back up and running as fast as possible. So obviously in version 10, we announced and released the, the NAS backup functionality. So the first demo that I did was around the instant recovery for NAS. And what that enables us to do is provide a read-only copy of our NAS backup to our users or to a group of users or whoever you need to have access to that, that data just so that they've got a good copy of that data whilst the IT team is remediating whatever that failure scenario is. I, I use ransomware. If we were in Vegas, I wanted to use a drill to go through a, a, and like simulate a failure. It would have been very Vegas for that, but in my in my office, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have come off as as well. Plus, it would have been my NAS, and that would have cost me money. Um, so so that was the the first demo of that, and it is seconds again. I so I had to split these two into that time frame. So I only had two minutes each for for these demos. So I had to show something really quick. Um, and then the final one is around instant database recovery. So and today already in the product, we have the ability to do publish so what we mean by publish is we can take the backup or yeah we can take the sql or oracle backup and we can publish a database from that backup to another sql or oracle system ideal for test and development it's a it's a it's we're presenting the database from the backup storage but it's it's not it's a short term it's a short term fix or it's a short term uh, use case for test and development and then it gets you make your changes locally your the backups are not being changed but you're using that data to to do some development against then once you're finished you drop that and it goes back away and and things carry on what we wanted to do was the ability to actually instantly recover that sql database or databases back to the production sql box which for my as as far as I'm aware, this is this is new. This is the the real innovative of innovation of, of Veeam is being able to publish that or present that back to your production SQL box or Oracle box and have that database back up and running. And then what we're going to do in the background is so we're going to move the the bulk of the data over, and then when we need to do that switch over, you've got the option as to when we do that, and that switch over is an outage, but it's now seconds rather than having to wait for everything to come back. And if you think about, and maybe this is another hidden thing that we don't talk about enough is, if you think about storage vMotion or or just VM uh, like vMotion within VMware about moving data over, they, they send the blocks over, but then they do it live now. Like, but if you think back in the day, or if you're going across site prior to having the ability to do this across multiple vCenters, you would have to power it down to then bring it back up. And so Veeam developed something called Veeam Quick Migration. So, and this is still in the product today. If you don't have the vMotion license or the storage vMotion license, then we will use Veeam Quick Migration to simulate that same process as storage vMotion. We use exactly the same engine for, um, for, for uh, the instant database recovery as well to, to move that that data back into production storage we also use it in the cdp if you look back at that that demo we use exactly the same process to fail back with uh with our um cdp and uh, i'm pretty sure there's other areas in the in the in the 
in the product that, that uses the same VeenQuick migration to, to migrate data around freely. And that was it. It was only, I only did four demos, Paul. Well, you know, you, you, you've—it seemed like a busy day, and and I think I mean, you know, I, I think what's interesting about the whole thing, and you know, and certainly what what stuck out for me was this kind of idea around, and Veeam talked about, didn't they, the idea of um, there was the kind of the tagline for it was around this kind of cloud data management piece, and you know, and I think. And I mean, I know before the event, I made a comment on Twitter that I think was relevant, you know, and you can look at, I think people can, you know, genuinely ask the question, you know, whether you look at Veeam and your first thought is they are a cloud data management company. And I think that's a valid question. You know, people perhaps still look at Veeam and say, well, you know, it's a backup and recovery company or, or, or whatever, you know, and, and actually what the things, but, but, but for me, I think all the things that you've spoken about today, if even if Veeam are not a cloud data management company, I think Veeam are doing all of the kind of things that I look for when I'm starting to look at building data platforms. So when I when I'm looking at what are the things that I need a data platform to be able to do, or certainly my my view, what do I think myself and my customers need a data platforms to be able to do to deliver an appropriate data platform for their enterprise going forward. And whether you look at Veeam as a cloud data management company or not, I think all of the things that you've talked about are all the component parts that, that you're looking to deliver in that. You want portability of data. You want to orchestrate things. You know, you want to be able to have things available and available quickly, like kind of you talked about there with the, the instant recovery around NAS and, and databases. So, so you know, so so for me, I thought I, I took quite a lot of that from Veeam on. And, you know, and to go back to where you started, I think actually as an online event, it seemed to be delivered really well and, that, and I kind of enjoyed it. And I think for people listening to this show as well, they have the opportunity to go back and kind of listen to listen and look at that stuff themselves so well look, we, i think we've uh, we put th people through enough of seeing me and you on a video um i, I think they perhaps don't need to see any more um and, and for those listening um you know yeah I, I think there's been been loads of really valuable stuff there so so michael actually just as we wrap up you know so if people do want to find out any more you know where can they still find veeam on and obviously if they want to hunt you down on the internet and now they've seen your face maybe in the street um you know what's the best way of going about doing that not the street as, obviously i'm not advocating yeah well as long as they socially distance and i'm fine with that um so anyway finding stuff on vmon i think vmon.com and if that isn't taken then someone needs to buy that and sell that to Veeam. but um i'm pretty sure it's vmon.com if not veeam.com will have links to it um from me point of from from me from from my point of view if you need to get hold of me or want to get hold of and have a chat then I'm on, on Twitter at MichaelCade1. Also do a bit of blogging at vzilla.co.uk. And I've been doing some of these YouTube, some of those demos that I've just really, that I showed at Beam on. I've been trying my luck at, at YouTube and trying to put some some content out there. I think it's a lot easier, especially given, given that we're stuck at home all day. Let's watch and listen to, to someone talk about something of, that's hopefully interesting. So on YouTube as well, um, I th again, it's Michael Cade one on there. I think if you search for that, you'll, you'll find that, but generally anything Veeam is, is on there. Okay. Well, Michael, um, you know, thank, thanks as always for coming on the show, a, a regular guest and a, a regular support of, of what we're trying to do at tech interview. So uh, thanks for coming on. And, um, yeah, so, uh, if people want to watch me do these these, these kind of things again with, uh, with with guests so you can kind of see how it goes and, and hopefully you notice I make notes and things as we're talking I don't just not listen and uh, kind of make this stuff up as I go along well I do make it up as I go along that's a different conversation <laughs> um, we, we will potentially do more of these depending on how well it works and stuff you know we've used Zoom to do this so uh, Zoom comes with its um, its own challenges as, as good a platform as it is but um, anyway for now Michael thanks, thanks for being on the show as always and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon
Cheers, mate. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that slightly different show. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. If you do want to watch the video version of the show, then please pop over to my YouTube channel and, uh, and you can check it out there. If you've got an idea for a show and would like to appear as a guest on a future Tech Interviews, video or audio, it's up to you, uh, then why not just drop me an email at podcast at techstringy.com or find me on Twitter at techstringy. If you want to make sure you catch the next episode of Tech Interviews, then why not subscribe? You can find us in all good homes of podcasts, including SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And of course, you can pop over to the YouTube channel and subscribe there as well. Now. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>